Welcome in today on Buff Stampede Radio. We are joined by a special guest, Alex Kelly, who is the starting center on the most successful CU football team in the last 20 years is on the line. Alex, thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm really looking forward to catching up here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Definitely. Uh, before we reminisce about your time at CU, I'm sure folks are, will be interested in hearing what you're up to these days. Starting with the, the strongman competitions that you're training for right now, how long have you been training and competing in that? So I started last July, right after the 4th of July. I started strength training then. What prompted you to want to start training for strongman competitions? Well, during the COVID lockdown, I discovered the History Channel show. It's like History Strongest Man or something. And, you know, I had always thought of strongmen as like, you know, someone like Thor Bjornsson, who's the mountain on Game of Thrones. I thought they were all 6'9", 440-pound behemoths. And then, uh, you know, on that show, I discovered two of the guys who are very successful were exactly my size. So I was like, huh, maybe I could do that. <laughs> That's awesome. I remember watching strongman competitions on TV growing up. What is it like these days? Are they uh, kind of set up regionally and then nationally? How does that work now? Yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of discovering how everything works. Uh, but there's there's actually a pretty big community locally and nationally for amateur strongman competitions. And, you know, there's, you can go from a beginner competition where the weights are a little lighter to something like I did, I did one called the Texas legends, which that feeds into the Arnold strongman classic, which is, you know, it's Arnold strongman classic is right up there with like world strongest man. Okay. Yeah. Is it mostly just weights? Now I remember back in the day, you'd have guys pushing, uh, trucks and, and throwing beer kegs over their head. How is it? How is it set up now? Oh, it's the same way. Um, it's it's kind of becoming a little more standardized these days, uh, just because people are getting just so much stronger than you know they were even twenty years ago. I think you know somebody like Eddie Hall. He took the uh, the world record deadlift from like you know a thousand forty pounds to eleven hundred wow. himself. So. So becoming a little more standardized, but I've been going to love the weird things like kind of, you know, pressing a keg overhead or running with a sandbag or, you know, the stuff like that. That's weird. I really like. That's awesome. You tweeted out yesterday that you squatted over 700 pounds. That's pretty incredible. Uh, have you set long-term goals or are you kind of just taking it one step at a time here? Well, um, I was kind of taking it one step at a time. And then I kind of, I, I, so at that Texas Legends competition, since I won that one, I qualified to the Arnold's Strongman like amateur competition, which only 40 amateurs in the entire world qualify for. So after that happened, I'm like, maybe, maybe we can focus this, focus this up a little bit. So now I'm in that kind of, in the middle of that process say, you know, Hey, how does that work with, you know, all the other stuff I'm doing? That's awesome. Yeah. Obviously you have a day job. We'll talk a little bit about that, but how much of a time commitment is it trained for these, these competitions? Um, I was doing, I was working out three days a week and I, I was doing my workouts in 75 minutes. 
Uh, now is during the school year. Now that it's summertime, I have a little more time to do stuff. So I'm going to train four days a week, probably 90 minute blocks. So, you know, it's, it's not crazy amounts of time, but it's, it's the time after the workouts where you have to recover and eat right and all that stuff that does add up. Kind of building off that, I'd imagine it's more about training smart than harder. I mean, you probably, there's probably a, a law of diminishing returns, right? Your body could kind of break down if you do too much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's when, you know, you really have to kind of dial in the recovery and the, the eating and all that stuff. I'd imagine the way you lifted weights at CU as a football player was a lot different. Uh, were you, I would imagine you weren't trying to kind of max out all the time at CU, right? No, and it's kind of funny. I, I never really got to uh, explore how strong I was at CU because, you know, I, I walked in, I walked to campus. I had a 405 bench and a 500 squat. And, you know, that kind of from the first day there, uh, you know, all the strength coaches like, Alex, you're, you're strong enough. Now we need to be able to get you to use that strength while you're running at a weird angle to hit somebody to become a better athlete. You mentioned the recovery being a huge part of it. What, what else does it take to be successful in that sport? It, what, what is it like mentally? Is it just how much pain you're kind of willing to endure? There's definitely some uh, events that are just enduring just a, a sheer amount of pain. You know, uh, I did a competition a couple months ago where we hold these things called the Denny Stones. You know, and I, I think the total amount of weight is 700 something pounds. You lift them up and there, you know, there's these giant rocks with rings probably half inch thick and you just hold on to them as long as you can. And I, you know, I, uh, I was dealing with the pain well, but the, the stones kept slipping. I'm like, why are they slipping? And I looked down and I lost one of my calluses here and, uh, the pain after that was, was not fun. <laughs> Lost a big old chunk of skin. When you're not lifting weights, you're a special, special education teacher. Is that still at Fairview High School? Yeah. So right now uh, I'm doing that. I'm getting my master's in moderate to severe special education. Um, but yeah, I'm currently working at Fairview. Very cool. That, that's obviously very commendable. Is that the path you expected to take after hanging up your cleats? No. Um, and it's kind of funny because I, I didn't really know the path I wanted. I was kind of exploring a few different options, like maybe going into coaching college football or maybe teaching. And I was living with my aunt and uncle at that time while still training to try to still get in the league. And I walked over, they live about two blocks away from Wheat Ridge High School. And I literally walked in and said, hey, I'm Alex Kelly. You guys need help? And they're like, yeah, we need help in special ed. Can you start tomorrow? So I started, uh, they call it a paraeducator, uh, which basically means, you know, the, the teacher helper for special ed. And I absolutely fell in love with teaching special ed students. And, you know, it kind of went on from there. And now I'm getting my master's in it. I'd imagine that's a very challenging job, but, but also very rewarding. Well, what's it been like doing that here these past couple of years? Um, I mean, yeah, it's kind of funny because everyone always says like, oh, like, 
you know, it takes somebody very special to do that. Like that's, you know, that's very commendable for you, but I just love it so much. Every day is, is a different challenge. Even like every passing period is a different challenge. And I, I really like that aspect that every, you know, basically almost every moment of the day is, is going to be something different. Um, I, and I did spend a semester teaching um, middle school computer science and that kind of just repetitiveness of giving the same lecture six times a day really got to me. And then I went back to special ed and haven't looked back. What's something about teaching special ed that maybe the average person doesn't might not know about it? Um, I would say the, the thing that really stands out to me is how smart special ed students are in their own way. Like a lot of the students I work with, they'll, they'll be able to take, you know, whatever disability they have and maximize the potential they can get out of it and do things in a truly unique way that, you know, you wouldn't really even think, you, you would never even think to do it that way. And I just love exploring just different thought processes and the way the, these kids think to do everyday things. When you were at CU, did, did you think that you'd end up staying in Colorado and kind of making that your home post-football career? Uh, yeah, I, you know, during my time at CU, I, I fell in love with just Boulder and the mountains and Colorado. And, you know, I, I, I got the privilege to grow up in San Diego, about 20 minutes away from the beach. But, you know, during that, you know, five years at CU, I, I learned that I get just more joy staring at the mountains and just being in awe of the flat irons than I do kind of looking at, at the water. You mentioned growing up in San Diego there, going back even further than that, uh, you were born in Spain. And according to your old CU bio, you lived out of the country until you were seven years old because your parents were working as missionaries. Uh, I don't remember a whole lot about my first seven years on this planet, but do you remember anything about that time, those early years being overseas? I don't remember much, but I do remember that I would beg my mom every day after school, you know, for a couple, I guess there were euros or whatever, to go down to the candy store and stock up on as much candy as they'd let me buy. <laughs> and even now, I, I still say that Spanish candy slash European candy is, is better than American candy. That's awesome. Were you were you in Spain uh, that whole time though? Those first seven years? Yes. Yeah, I was. Your father, Kerry, lettered four times for the Buffs. He was an offensive tackle at CU in the late seventies. Did you, as a result of that, grow up watching CU? Oh yeah. Um, it was a little hard to watch CU in Spain, but when we moved back to America, you know, every game that was on TV, my dad would be going crazy and telling us stories about how he used to play Nebraska and they would go into Nebraska and there'd just be a sea of red everywhere. Everyone's, you know, cussing, yelling at them and um, just going into a hostile environment like that. And, you know, he's talking about how just that sense of that pride for CU going into that was awesome. And yeah, he definitely instilled that in me as well. Were there any, CU players or, or teams growing up that, that you especially enjoyed? Um, 
It, it was a little, you know, I don't really remember too much. Uh, I was there for yeah, the uh, Dan Hawkins, Cody Hawkins, and, you know, all that. So it, it was always excitement with a little bit of heartbreak. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I'm sure you know. Yeah. But that's the environment that I wanted to go into and play in. At what age did you start playing organized football? Do you, do you have some memories from those early years playing the sport? So I was always too big to play, uh, like Pop Warner Leagues. I started freshman year of high school. Okay. Yeah. Did you realize pretty early on th that, you know, you were better than a lot of your peers? Or when did you kind of realize that, that you had a pretty special gift in terms of football? It definitely took me a little bit. Um, you know, freshman year, I was just kind of bigger than most of the guys, so I could kind of push them around. And then I would say a flip switched, you know, a couple games in the sophomore season where, you know, I was kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm big and strong and fast. Like, I'm better than all these guys. And, um, you know, it just kind of went from there. And – Eventually got my way to see you. <laughs> you were handing out pancakes uh, like IHOP there as an upperclassman at Vista High School. They credited you with a total of 168 pancakes during your junior and senior seasons. Uh, and you also enjoyed a lot of team success, winning a title each of those two years. What was it like playing for Dan Williams? And uh, what, what stands out when you think back to, to high school football? Well, let me, let me answer that second part first. Sure. I was credited with 168, but I am second all-time in pancakes behind my older brother. He had like 171 across those two years. And now, now like even uh, Coach Dan Williams and uh, my O-line coach, Coach Slade, he goes, well, looks like you weren't the best center Vista's ever had. <laughs> looks like that was your brother. <laughs> so I always will have that hanging over my head because my older brother got three more pancakes than me. <laughs> he ended up playing FCS football. Uh, yeah. So he ended up playing at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and um, had, a, had a decent career there. Um, he was his senior season. He was supposed to, he was a preseason all American and ended up blowing out his knee with like the first five plays of the first game and uh, didn't get to play again, but Sad story, but yeah, he was a very good O-lineman in his own right. Just thinking back to those championship teams you were on in high school, what, what kind of memories do you have about that? Um, I just remember the, the sense of camaraderie and the sense that we, we got together to believe in something bigger. And I, I kind of carried that over into CU and even to now, um, just that – you know, like everyone was there to, to play their role and play it to the best of their ability. I think that's something that Coach Williams really instilled in us back in the day. Uh, like, you know, you're, you're playing not just for the name on the back of your jersey, but for the history on the front of that jersey of Vista High School. Because Vista High School is a, is a very storied uh, high school football team in San Diego. We've won multiple state championships and CIF championships and everything. You were also a three-time first-team all-league wrestler in the heavyweight division at Vista. How, how much did that help with your development as an offensive lineman? 
Oh man, I I would encourage every single high school football player, not just offense linemen, to wrestle. Just the the way that you learn how individual parts of your body work. It, there's no there's really no other sport that'll teach you that. Just the way to use your body and your strength in a in a suboptimal position to kind of dominate another human being is something that I like I would have never learned doing any other sport. As a recruit in high school, you had a handful of offers. Boise State, Minnesota were a couple of the other schools after you. When CU offered, given your your family history with the buffs, did did you always know hey, I'm gonna follow in my father's footsteps, be a buff, or did you seriously consider some of those other options you had? Oh, I I was I was about to commit to Minnesota. CU actually came on really late in the game. And it took my dad's college roommate walking into, I believe the O-line coach was Denver Johnson at that time saying, watch this tape. And, and uh, his name, my dad's roommate named Andy Armstrong. He played football as well, but he wouldn't leave until Denver Johnson watched that tape. They watched it together. And then uh, he called me up right after that and offered me. Um, But yeah, I was seriously probably two or three days away from committing to Minnesota. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I think Brian Cabral used to recruit down in San Diego back then. Was he involved in your recruitment at all? No. Like that, that one interaction of Andy Armstrong going into Denver Johnson's office, that was the only time, the only kind of thing that happened in recruiting to see you. What do you remember about your official visit out to Colorado? Oh, I, so we were playing Georgia and who was there? They had some stud. AJ Green? Yeah, AJ Green. And I remember they, they rolled in. And even though we were playing Georgia, there's probably 20,000 fans wearing the, you know, the Georgia red. And we ended up winning. I forget the score, but I, all I remember was, I think it was within a few points. And AJ Green is in the end zone, and he probably jumps 20 feet up in the air, almost catches the ball by the fingertips and barely misses it. And CU ends up winning. But I just, I just remember one, just losing my breath and two that there's just some human beings that are, are just better athletes than others. <laughs> yeah. That play. And then LaVisca Chenault's catch against Washington a couple years ago. Those are probably the top two plays just in terms of, I don't understand how human being just made that catch. That was obviously a huge game. Were you all set to go to CU once they offered, or what was it that experience that, that kind of sold you on it? I was pretty set, but I didn't make it official until after that official visit. You gray gray shirted before enrolling at CU in 2012. If memory serves, I think you were on the beach, right? And you injured your ankle. Were you playing? Uh, Football on the beach. I'm trying to remember. It's been a, it's been a few years. I I wish it was that cool of a story. So in San Diego, the water's a little colder, and to get used to it fast, people just sprint in the water and dive in. So what happened was, you know, the the sand in the water was level, and then it dipped about two feet, and then I fell into that dip, broke my foot in like three or four different places had to get a metal rod to keep everything in place. And it, what, what was that? Two weeks before fall camp started. And uh, 
Yeah, that, that conversation with, with Coach was a little nerve-wracking after that. <laughs> but he was – what was that? No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think at that time it was um, – so the, Dan Hawkins got fired and they were still bringing in the new coaching staff. I don't even remember who I talked to, but, the, you know, that person said, don't worry, your scholarship is still good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you know, you wouldn't wish to injure that foot, but by gray shirting, that allowed you to still be around in 2016. Do you kind of almost look at it as a blessing in disguise now, kind of looking back? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was definitely kind of like, you know, that was God's plan for me. It's going to get hurt and then achieve great things out of that, you know, that sadness that happened. And I, I, I wouldn't have done it any other way looking back now. I'm, you know, it sucked when that happened, just the nerves of it all. Like, oh, am I still going to have my scholarship? Do I still get to go to my dream school? But in the end, it all worked out, and we, we had a pretty good season. <laughs> you see some of these skilled guys, they come in and they jump right in the mix as a true freshman. But offensive linemen usually have to develop. You gray-shirted, then you come in in red shirt. How hard is it, you know, obviously going back to what you did at Vista, you were used to being successful. Was it hard to, to kind of wait your turn? Yeah, uh, yeah it was hard. Um, but I did kind of had, had a good pride check to realize that, hey, I, I am not at this level yet. Um, you know, the, the first day of fall camp, my freshman year, uh, I, we did uh, Oklahoma drills. And I went up against Will Precheck. I don't know if you remember his name. Oh, yeah. Yep. He played for the Seahawks and the Broncos for a few years. But he takes me, drives me about five yards back, and knocks me flat on my back. And I was the O-lineman. He stands me up says, welcome to college football. <laughs> so <laughs> at that moment, I'm like, okay, it's a little bit of a different level here. Um, but, yeah, so just that that time to to grow and learn and – you know, I commend people like Kaivi Crab and Daniel Munyer who really took me under their wings and said, hey, everything's going to be okay. You are a heck of an athlete. You know, we're, we went through the same road too, sitting back, not starting for a year or two, and, you know, you, you got to work your way up. And they, those two, like, just helped me on my, my path to becoming a three-year starter so much. And I, I just – I really thank those two guys. You mentioned right there being a three-year starter from that red shirt freshman season in 2013 through your red shirt senior year. You played in 50 of 51 games, 38 starts. Was there a moment in that stretch where you felt like you really turned a play, turned the corner as a player, where you felt like you were one of the better offensive linemen on the team? You know, I would say I – I don't know if there was ever a point where I considered myself one of the better offensive linemen. Uh, it's just, that's not the attitude that I kind of go into things, but I would say there's a, there's a turning point where I belonged in the position I was. It was my sophomore season. We were playing Washington and um, what's his name? I think his name was Danny Shelton. They, they had a, you know, he went like ninth pick in the draft He's like 6'4", like 360 pounds, and, you know, he ran like a 4'9", or just something something ridiculous. And, you know, my coach said, like, Alex, this is who you're up against. 
but I believe in you. You got this. And I would say like over my whole career, it was one of the better games I played. You know, obviously I had better games, but just the fact of I was a sophomore making, it was like my third start or whatever. Coach trusted me, Daniel Munyer, Kaivi Crab trusted me to be in that position and, and block that guy. Um, really was the turning point. Like, okay, I belong where I am. I deserve to be here. I put in the work. And that was really that point. You went through uh, some coaching changes in there. You mentioned that, you know, Dan Hawkins was the, the initial coach that you committed to. And then John Embry takes over. Uh, Mike McIntyre, you know, follows him. And you go from Denver Johnson to uh, Steve Marshall to Gary Bernardi to Clayton Adams. And uh, prior to 2016, you know, as a group, you guys suffered a lot of tough losses. Uh, but were there some positive memories, you know, despite all that turmoil with the coaching turnover that, you know, you felt like things were kind of trending in the right direction? What would you remember about those seasons and, you know, leading up to 2016? Uh, the thing I probably remember the most is that the camaraderie in that offensive line room never wavered. It got stronger as the years went on. And, and, you know, I've mentioned them a couple of times, but Kaivi Crab and Daniel Munyer were the ones who first set, basically set the tone for the camaraderie and the intensity brought in that offensive line room. And then, you know, me and Jeremy Irwin and Jared Coe, we, we kind of just kept building on that camaraderie. And I think that was definitely a turning point between that junior and senior season because we were, we were building together but at the same time, we were also getting super pissed off, not at each other, but at the situation of, that we were in. And it, it all came to that boiling point in our senior year where, you know, going, you know, we, we played CSU and I, I don't remember the final score, but we beat them by like six touchdowns or something ridiculous. And it, it was at like that point, like all that building we did through four or five years finally was paying off. We've heard stories about that summer before the 2016 season in terms of you guys self-policing each other and the leadership. You mentioned the camaraderie that you guys built. Did, did you truly sense something was special was brewing that summer? Or was it something that didn't really show itself in terms of you guys having that self-belief until a little bit later? I, you know, honestly, that, that process started our junior year. Uh, you know, it, it literally came down if you change two or three things in, in each and every game, we'd probably have an 8-9 win season. And we, you know, as an O-line unit, we, we kind of took that upon ourselves. Said, okay, if it's two or three mistakes, how can we, as a unit of five, sometimes six, including the tight ends, minimize two to three mistakes uh, just on our own to then help us win 10, 11, whatever games? So, yeah. You actually scored the, the first touchdown of that 2016 season, uh, obviously recovering a fumble against season, the, in the season opener against CSU. You mentioned that was a big win for you guys. What do you remember about that play? And was that the first touchdown you had ever scored in football? Yes, it was. Um, you know, I remember about that play that I didn't know I scored. Um, so what happened was in the heat of the moment, uh, you know, Sefa was going in and I thought he had crossed the line, but then I saw the ball on the ground and, you know, I was like, you know, just out of precaution, I'll jump on it. 
And, in, you know, they signal touchdown and everything. I'm like, okay, good. Cepho scored. Don't need to worry about anything. And then I'm on the sideline and I hear my, my brother. He's like, Alex. I'm like, what? He goes, you scored that touchdown. I'm like, what? No one told me. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so you, so, yeah, you didn't get, that's my memory of that play. <laughs> so you didn't get to keep the football or anything? Nope. <laughs> Nothing. I had no idea until like five minutes later. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, when you look back at that season, most of us point to the Akella Witherspoon interception to win the Oregon game as kind of being the moment where, okay, momentum is really building for you guys. You, you probably would have beaten Michigan had Cepho not gone down in that game, but you know, the, the season could have gone in a nev- negative direction after that loss, just because, you know, at least it seemed like it would have been a heart wrenching loss. Would you agree that that Witherspoon pick what was a, a key for you guys, or was there another moment you would point to? Um, no, I, I would agree with that. I think just that whole Oregon game in general, because at that point, what were they like seventh in the nation? Um, that sounds about right. Yeah, they're like they're top ten for sure. And you know, we're playing in Oregon. It's rainy as usual. And we're hanging with them. You know, we're beating them. We're, we're there with the 17 in the nation. And I think at that point, we started to believe, hey, we are really good. And, it, you know, just that Akella Witherspoon where, you know, he picks it off. That, that was kind of the icing on the cake. It's like, we are really good. And players are making plays. That's something Coach Mack always said. He goes, you know, players, players make plays. And a player like Akella, Akella Witherspoon made a play. What are some of your other favorite moments when you think back to that whole 2016 season? Um, one of my favorite moments, uh, you know, it, it wasn't the, a fun game, but that Michigan game, because I think two of their D linemen went in the first round. And I, I had a, a bummed ankle. I sprained it two weeks before against CSU, and then I missed the Idaho State game, and I started for Michigan – or started against Michigan – um, that was probably in my eyes, the best game of football that I ever played against two first rounders. And, you know, I think I forget what like taco or something was his name or some, I, whatever, but he had like two tackles the entire game and he was averaging like two or three sacks a game, 12 tackles, whatever. And that, that was probably my favorite moment. And then winning, the are uh, clinching the Pac-12 South against that win against Utah. I took a couple minutes when everyone rushed the field internally. I said, okay, I'm going to look around and remember this because this is never going to happen in my life again. Um, so that was definitely a moment. Like I had a moment of realization that, uh, you know, that when we had, in that moment, in that kind of sweet feeling of clinching the Pac-12 South and kind of that turning point of going from four and eight to a seat in a season to 11 win season. Um, that was also my favorite moment. Have you ever put in that Utah game or seen it on TV and, and sat down and watched it over again? No, I haven't. Okay. Maybe someday I will when I have kids in like 15 years, like, Hey, I used to be good at something. <laughs> yeah, Cepho kind of turned into a, a fullback there late in the season. What was it like 
for you guys on offense just to see him obviously he put his body through a lot you guys are putting your bodies through a lot in the trenches obviously but what was it like to have kind of a warrior mentality in a quarterback uh leading you guys as an offense uh i mean yeah sefo is one of the best leaders that i've ever had the privilege of being around the way he would command that entire offense was just was awesome like i knew at any moment that i I could trust anything Sefo was doing or saying. Um, and, you know, watching your quarterback go pound the rock against, you know, 240-pound linebackers from USC and Oregon and all these teams was pretty cool too. <laughs> Obviously, the Alamo Bowl didn't turn out the, the way you guys wanted it to, but just going down to San Antonio, finally getting into a bowl game, what was that experience like? It was good. Um, I definitely kind of blocked out that memory a little bit. I blocked out the memory of the Washington game and the Alamo Bowl. But, yeah, it was it was fun. I, I know that a lot of people were so appreciative of the season that we put together. You know, I had – I can't even count how many people came up to me and said, like, thank you for bringing pride back into the Colorado Buffaloes. So that's probably the, the main thing I remember about that Alamo Bowl game, just the sense of pride that we brought back to the Colorado Buffaloes was awesome. You made a run at professional football, uh, trying out for the Canadian Football League. I think it was at the Ottawa Red Blocks that, that you tried out for? Yeah. What was that whole experience like? <laughs> well, I have a funny story about it. So on the um, – the little tryout sheet that I got said, you're running like a 5-10-5, 40-yard drill. We're going to do a couple individualized O-line drills, and, you know, we'll go from there. So I spent, you know, that next six months doing working on my pro agilities and 40s and all that. And then I walk, I walk in, and they go, all right, O-line and D-line on the other field. You guys are doing one-on-ones till the coaches get tired. And – we started with seven linemen. And so this is another part of this. It was in Atlanta, Georgia in September. So it was hot <laughs> to say the least. Um, but yeah, so we started with seven linemen. We got down to four and it got to the point where I would take a, a rep at left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle. Then I would have a break. And I ended up doing like 100 one-on-ones, and I think I lost two of them. So, yeah, that's, that's the funny story. And then it all kind of came together. I, um, their O-line coach, you know, after two weeks of like, hey, what's going on? What's going on? Called me, and he said, Alex, I just want to let you know I've been fighting for you for two weeks to get you signed on. But we're going with, a, I think they signed a receiver and a linebacker. And I knew at that point that I could not have done any better as a football player. So that was the, that was the time to hang up the cleats. And it was very bittersweet because I, you know, I, I had the best tryout performance that I could have, and it wasn't good enough. But I also was able to end on that high knowing that I put my best foot out there and it wasn't good enough. And, you know, I was okay with that. I've got to ask based on your answer there, why are offensive linemen ever running a 40-yard dash? 
<laughs> that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Would, have you have you ever run forty yards in a football game? Uh, you know, probably a couple times after we scored. I probably jogged 40 and I got tired and then, you know, it's like, all right, you know, pointed. Good job. Great job, guys. <laughs> Just kind of reflecting on your experience playing football. If you were talking to an incoming freshman offensive lineman going to see you and actually two of them, just reported at CU earlier this week, Edgar Amaya and Jackson Anderson. What, what advice would you give that? Um, you know, the advice that I could, I wish I could give myself and then in turn give these guys is you really have to, if your goal is to play in the NFL, have success at CU and play in the NFL, you have to really treat it like a job and a job that you love. Um, I feel like there's certain times that I myself kind of strayed away from that path. I always loved football, but sometimes I didn't treat it like the job that it should have been. Um, and, you know, I think I could have been a little more successful at my time at CU and then in turn the NFL. Um, but I didn't treat it how it should have been. So to these two incoming guys, uh, it, it's going to be hard, but. You got to treat it like it's it's a job and it's everything you want to do. Are there some teammates you had at CU that you're still pretty close with that, that you still keep in pretty consistent contact with today? Yeah, I um, I hang out. I actually just went down to Tennessee a few months ago and saw Shane Callahan, uh, Sully Weefels. We text every once in a while, Colin Sutton. Uh, we had a crawfish boil at uh, Jeremy Irwin's house. And Jared Coe went, came up from California to come to that. So yeah, there's actually quite a few of us still, you know, kind of in the Denver area. And it, it's, it's always nice to see those guys for sure. Obviously, 2020 didn't provide this opportunity, but do you plan to, you know, attend CU football games going forward? How, how close do you keep tabs on the program? Oh, I, I try to go to every home game. I like it. You know, I've been a CU fan since I – I've known the fight song since I could talk. So the fact that I live, you know, a half hour away from Boulder and I get to go to all the CU games and, and see all that, that I, I try to go to every single home game. Obviously, Carl Durrell was thrown into a tough situation coming in last spring, but Buffs went 4-2 and two last year. They, they go back to the Alamo Bowl. What have just been kind of your impressions as a fan of CU with him and, and the new staff there in Boulder? I like everything that they're doing. I haven't really, you know, because of COVID, I haven't been as close as I would like to be. You know, I'd like, I'd like to go and shake Carl Durrell's hand and, you know, maybe talk shop with the O-line coach for a few minutes just to see, you know, his philosophies. But from afar, you know, from afar, 30 minutes away, I, I like everything that they're doing. Um, Jonathan Van Deese and I go to the same church. So, I, you know, we talk every once in a while. And it sounds like the mentality that the team has is the same mentality that we had our senior season. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Well, Alex, you are a unique individual, and I mean that in the most complimentary way possible. Uh, it was fun taking that trip down memory lane with you, and uh, it was great letting you letting us know what you're up to these days. You've got a lot of people here cheering for you now that you're in, into the strongman competitions. I, I really appreciate your time. 
Yeah, thanks again for having me. It was super fun to catch up and share what I'm doing these days. Thanks again.